Good morning to you. This morning we are delving into the second message in your Easter season series. A series entitled For the Life of the World. And it's based on a video series that I understand that you are watching as well. The video series is of the same title, For the Life of the World. And so we're doing the same videos back at Resurrection in D.C. And many people have asked why. Well, why are we doing these videos? Well, because they urge a much-needed shift in our paradigm as Christians. You know, as Christians, we've done a pretty good job of emphasizing over the past several decades that what we are saved from, that we are saved from sin, we are saved from death, we are saved from the devil. But also in recent decades, we have lost focus on a question that for Christians in prior generations was always at the forefront. And that question is, what are we saved for? Is it to go to heaven when we die? Because everything on earth is just secular and it's not eternal anyway and it's all just going to be wiped out in the end. Or is God intimately concerned with this world, with things like relationships, our jobs, politics, the sciences, the arts, because he wants to use us, his redeemed people, to breathe life into these things. Because they too are going to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. In short, is the scope of God's redemptive action in the world just our souls? Or is it our bodies too? And is it also this material stuff of creation? And all these mundane spheres that you and I occupy throughout the week. Does God care about those things? Does he want to redeem those things? You know, each week you're going to be looking at the intersection of this question. What is our salvation for? With a specific aspect of the world. Last week, your pastor laid out the broad picture that God has left us as exiles in the world. So that we as Christians can actively live to shape the world as God intended. And this week, we're going to look at a crucial aspect of our world, the family Specifically, what is the role of the family in God's aim to save his creation? That is, how is the family for the life of the world? Before we go any farther, please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we ask your blessing on this time together. We ask your blessing on the preaching of your word. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to understand. And give us feet to go from here and to walk in your ways and to delight in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the family is like manure. Don't credit me with that analogy because I've taken it out of the video series. The family is like manure. Okay. So I have a mother-in-law. She loves to grow things. She knows that a beautiful, colorful, fruit-yielding plant will wither, fade, and eventually rot if it doesn't have the right kind of soil. But what is soil, ultimately speaking? It's manure of some sort. And how odd that something so full of life would come from something so plain and so messy. Two years ago, we planted some tomato plants and fertilized them with good soil. 
And I was fascinated for the first time in my life as I, I thought about the fact that here this plant was taking stuff out of that soil, out of that manure of some sort, and through a series of very complex chemical processes was turning it into something else, was turning it into something that would give life to me and my family. The soil was giving life to the plant, which was giving life to us. And in the same way, the family, as the soil, gives life to the individual members of the family, the plants, who bear fruit for the life of the world, for the flourishing of the world. The family is at the base of God's operation, or at least that is God's design. That's his intention. That the family is for the life of the world, just like soil is for the life of a plant. And the plant gives life to the rest of the world. But the family, like soil, like manure, and I promise I'll stop saying that word, it's also very messy. The family is very earthy, it's very mundane, and sometimes it's just grossly unhealthy. It isn't the environment it's supposed to be to give life for the world. And perhaps for you, the very mention of family conjures images of decayed and fruitless, lifeless, diseased trees. Instead of conjuring an image of fruit-laden, life-giving branches that draw nourishment from their roots. So how do we reconcile this tension that the family is, by God's design, integral for shaping the world into what it's intended to be. And that it's also this ordinary, very unglamorous, sometimes very broken thing. How is life on a world scale supposed to come out of something that is so messed up sometimes, like the family? Now, I want to look at this question. And I want to start in this way. First, we're going to look at the Trinitarian roots of the family. The Trinitarian roots of the family. And second, how the family trains us to image God. How the family trains us to image God. And third, at the place of children in the family. Children in the family. And then finally, we'll consider the brokenness of the family and other pains that are related to the family. Pains like childlessness. Pains like longing for marriage. And just the general day-to-day mundaneness of the family. So first, the Trinitarian roots of the family. But let's start first with considering human beings in and of themselves. So in the beginning, God spoke through his word. And together they sent out the spirit to breathe life and order into the chaos that had just been spoken into existence. And this isn't all explicit in the opening verses of Genesis, but when we put together the biblical pieces, this is the picture that is painted, that the Father created through His eternal Word, His Son. That is, He created through His Son. And the Holy Spirit was there, hovering over the chaos to bring forth life. And in this Trinitarian creation dance... The father, as he has always done, was giving away his son for the life of the world. 
And the son, as he has always done, was giving himself to his father and giving himself for the life of the world. And the Holy Spirit, as he has always done, was presenting to the father and the son a good, abundant, and lifeful world. And all of this was done in love. And if there's one thing creation tells us, it tells us that God is the abundant gift giver. That he gives himself away to himself and for the life of the world. And most especially, he gives himself away to us. The pinnacle of his creation, his image bearers. Genesis 1.26, which you heard read earlier. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Just as God is the abundant gift giver, so we, imaging him, were created to be abundant gift givers too. We were created to, just like the Trinity, give ourselves to God in love. Give ourselves to one another in love. Give ourselves to creation in love. Taking this raw material of creation, just like God took that first chaos that he had spoken into existence, we are to take the raw material of creation and to shape it, to form it, to beautify it, just like God would. And then offer it back to him in worship. You know, in Berlin back in 2011, a group of neighborhood kids were unleashed. This would never happen in America, by the way. They were unleashed into a chaos of wooden beams and wooden planks and nails and hammers and saws. All kinds of tools. Kids no older than 12 or 13. And what did they do? Well, they did the human thing. They got to work. And what did they produce? An unappealing jumble of bent nails and ill-cut wood, a blight on the neighborhood, accidents galore. Not at all. None of those things. They built towers that were 30 feet high. They built a mini city. And all of it was architecturally stable. All of it. No training at all. Why did they do this? Because they're made in God's image. They gave themselves away and they birthed something glorious. Now you are made in God's image too. What spheres of chaos has God put you in? So that you in true Trinitarian fashion will give yourself away. In your job, in your school, in your city, in your relationships. How is he calling you to bring order from that chaos? To cultivate the raw materials of those spheres. Are you, as a redeemed believer in Christ, doing these things in his strength and the strength that God provides and offering them to him? Because that is the truly human thing to do. That is the Trinitarian thing to do. That's what God created us to do. And these are all very important questions for us as Christians. Because we set about working in God's world in His way. The human commission from the beginning, it has not changed just because sin is now a part of the picture. It just gets harder. It just gets more 
complicated. It gets more toilsome. But this is God's design that we, as image bearers of the Trinity, would give ourselves away to him. That we would give ourselves away to each other. That we would give ourselves away to the world where we live for the life of the world. For the flourishing of the world. To show the world how it's done. How human beings are supposed to live. And to do it all in worship. But in what framework did God design that we would learn how to do this? And the answer is the family. God designed the family to be the soil for learning how to give ourselves away for the life of the world. And so we're moving on to the second point. How the family trains us to give ourselves away to image God. Now, to see this, let's start with where the family starts. Let's start with marriage. Continuing in Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, the man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, of course, we human beings, we give ourselves away in all kinds of relationships, in friendships, in collaborations in interactions with strangers, for the life of the world. But nowhere is the self-giving more intimate, more profound than in marriage. One man, one woman, giving themselves to each other in love for the life of the world. Now, if ever the first man and the first woman were going to set about their mission of stewarding and cultivating God's creation... They would need to give themselves to each other. They would need each other. And not just to produce children. Adam needed Eve in order to give life to the world. In order to take proper dominion. And vice versa. Now if you doubt this, I want you to imagine a world only of men. Okay, now it's a bit of a stereotype. But I imagine a very plain, very angular Very utilitarian sort of world, full of heavy machinery and lots of really cool tools. But nobody knows how to express himself. Everyone wears the same thing every day. Everyone eats the same thing every day. This is kind of how I am if my wife goes away on a trip somewhere. But in all seriousness, stereotypes aside... Men and women need the gift of each other. And this is with or without marriage. When we think of how they give themselves to each other in marriage, it is also that their spouse will flourish and be equipped to give life to the world. Just think about what so many of the epistles say in the New Testament. Husbands, you are pointed toward your wife in love, not toward yourself. You're pointed to your wife so that she can flourishingly give her gifts to the world. And wives, you are for your husband in love, not for yourself. You are to exalt his life, not your own, so that he can better give his gifts to the world. By God's call, you said, if you're married, you said yes to marriage, not for self-fulfillment, not for endless romance. 
but for something beyond yourself, for something beyond your marriage even, for something so big, for the life of the world. And now, if you're single, I don't want you to misunderstand. So listen, the Scripture does not say that each person needs to be married in order to flourish. In fact, it says you may want to consider not getting married. They are both equally valid callings and equally influential in terms of God working in you and through you for the life of the world. But keep this in mind. It does say that if you are married, and this is a big corrective that our world needs to hear, it is for your spouse's flourishing. It is not for your self-fulfillment. And plus, at the general level, again, men and women need each other, even outside of marriage, in order for humanity as a whole to bring life to the world. So we can all ask ourselves how we can reflect this in our lives. But at the same time, marriage is the only grounds for the most intimate giving to one another in love that humanity can ever have and that humanity needs to have in order to give life to the world in a unique way. And so now we move to the third point, the role of children in a family. Children in a family. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Men and women are made for one another, to join together. As Genesis tells us in the next chapter, we read a portion of chapter 1 earlier, tells us that a man and a woman give themselves to each other to become one flesh. And as when the members of the Trinity gave themselves to one another, and out of that giving, they created man in their image. Marriage is the microcosm of Trinitarian creation. The man and woman give themselves to each other, and together they create a life just like their own, but something separate from them. An image bearer of God is born. But why? What is all this for? Let's look at the foundational relationship of husband, wife, and child. Just as the husband and wife give themselves to each other so that each can better image God in the world, so the father and mother give themselves to their child, training her to give herself to God, to others, and to the world. And this is God's design. This is how the family is for the life of the world. Go back to the illustration about soil from the beginning. Where did God design that newly sprouted image bearers learn how to worship him? That they learn how to relate to their fellow image bearers. That they learn how to give life to the world. The answer is in the soil of the family. God designed that we would learn our God-oriented lives from our families. And this is how the family is intended to be for the life of the world. So parents, God has called you to teach your children to bear his image in the world. And this is immense. This is a huge responsibility. But call out to him for the strength to do it. And remember that your children 
are not a gift to keep isolated from the world, to never know a non-Christian friend. Nor are they a gift that's just supposed to look just like the world, to have the same ideas of success as the world, the right schools, the right job, the right house, everything else that everybody else pursues. No, they are a gift for you to give for the God-oriented life of the world. Teach them who God is. Teach them who they are. And this applies not just to parents. This applies to church families. This applies to singles who have influence over children in a church family. Model for them what it means to hover Christianly over the chaos in the world. To get their hands in that chaos. Just like Christ would want them to. And to bring life to it. In their friendships. In their schools. In their neighborhoods. In their hobbies. In their habits. In their work. In their cities. And on into their adult lives. Whether God calls them to be single or married. All for the life of the world. And married people. Even young married people. Open your marriage to children. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for wisely stewarding your time and resources with respect to children. But think about this. Might the greatest thing you could do for the life of the world not be pursuing your life-giving, world-transforming career, but instead raising children who know Jesus? Children who will give themselves toward the kind of world that God wants to bring about. This is how the family is for the life of the world. A man and woman join themselves in marriage for the life of the other. And out of their union come children who are raised up and sent out into the chaos for the life of the world. But in our lives, there is the real as opposed to the ideal. You may plant a garden, but the soil has been poisoned by disease. The soil's been inundated with chemicals that promise to add life, but have only taken what little life was there, and they've taken it away. Ideally, the soil is clean and pure, but in reality, the soil cannot escape corruption. And this is Certainly true of the family. And so we move to our fourth point. What about the brokenness of the family? Infidelity. Fatherlessness. Motherlessness. Abuse. Abandonment. These are just a few of the faces that sin takes in a family. Now I said earlier that for some of you, the image of family is something other than vitality. And maybe one of these aberrations is why. So how do we respond to this? Well, for one thing, the Bible is supremely honest about sin's destruction on the family, even in some of its greatest heroes. Now, our gospel reading from earlier was Matthew chapter 1. Now, I imagine that when you guys pick up the book of Matthew, um, the first place you go to is probably not the genealogy, probably not the big list of names. In fact, you probably skip over that and all those other genealogies from the Old Testament. But before you do that, There is a lot to be learned from a genealogy. I want you to think back on that gospel reading from Matthew 1. 
Matthew begins with a select, indivi- select group of individuals from G- Jesus' genealogy. I want you to notice that he doesn't whitewash over the less than stellar branches of the family tree. Instead, he highlights them. It starts with Abraham, who was the father of Isaac. But not before he was the father of Ishmael, by a woman who wasn't his wife. Or, you know. And then just two names later, we see Judah. It says that Judah was the father of Perez by Tamar. By the way, Tamar was his daughter-in-law. And he slept with her because he thought she was a prostitute. And then there's David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. As you remember, David committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then he had Uriah killed. And so the portrayal of the family in Scripture isn't rosy. It's very raw. But here's the thing that God, he fully acknowledged the mess. And he still incarnated himself into it anyway. What does that mean? If not that Jesus was born into and grew up in a family to redeem even the family too. Some of you may have been nurtured in the soil of a very unhealthy family. Unfaithful, absent, or abusive parents. Or some other terrible predicament that fell far short of what God intended. Maybe you feel like you were thrust out into the world devoid of life. Because your family didn't give you any life to give to the world. I want you to know that this grieves God's heart. That this is the result of the twisted nature of sin. And it is not the way that God designed the family to be. But also, know that if the soil of your family was unhealthy or barren, that that is not a hindrance to God. It was not a hindrance to himself, to him when he incarnated himself into humanity. And he can still enter your unhealthy soil and till it and bring good. There are spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in abundance in the church. If your biological family gave you no life to give to the world, God sets the lonely in families. He is a father to the fatherless. There are fathers and mothers in this room who would love to care for you and nurture you. But perhaps you've seen so much of the broken branches of the family, divorce, betrayal, that you've written off ever getting your hands dirty in that kind of garden. Not after what my parents did. I could never get married. I, could, I couldn't be a good spouse. I couldn't be a good parent. But God is still committed to the family. It's still very much a part of his plan to build up men and women in marriage. To raise children through them in order to breathe life into the world. Now perhaps you don't desire to be married. And that is okay. Again, that is a perfectly valid call of God. It's a perfectly good gift. But don't let fear be the thing that precludes you from marriage. With counsel, with wisdom, you can be a part 
of that kind of soil for the life of the world. And perhaps you were the one, or you are the one now, who has poisoned or is poisoning the soil of your family. Maybe you haven't done much for the health, for the nurture of the plants that are in your care. Well, I want you to know that it is never too late to go to Jesus, to ask him to help revive that soil. It's never too late for you to be the kind of father or mother or brother or sister or son or daughter that God intends for us to be. So despite the brokenness, God still wants to use the family for the life of the world. So I want to consider now, briefly, two other pains related to the family. Childlessness and being single lonely. First, childlessness. God's design for the family is that a husband and wife would give themselves to each other and, under normal circumstances, produce children. But from the beginning of Scripture, we see the grief that's caused by the painful reality of childlessness. And we see that God knows that pain. And if that's your burden right now, give that and keep giving that to Him. Keep giving yourself to your spouse. Keep giving yourself to the world. There is nothing less about what you have to give in Christ. Nothing. And nowhere does the Bible say that the children that you raise have to be your own, that they have to come from you. God only wants that children would have a father and a mother who will show them what it means to love him and to order his good world like image bearers should for life in Christ. And then second, being single, lonely. That is, being single but desiring to be married. Now, I know that not every single person desires marriage. But wouldn't it be great for children to learn from their parents that God may want them to remain single for the life of the world? Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of family where you can actually tell your children, you know, God may not call you to marriage, or he may. But you need to be prepared to live for the life of the world in either setting. It's it's a perfectly good calling. There's nothing second rate about being single in Christ. Nothing. It's not just an afterthought. The Apostle Paul emphatically encourages it even in 1 Corinthians. But again, if you're single and long to be married, I know that this longing can cause a lot of pain and frustration. I know that it's real. And God knows. But I know that you know that living for the life of the world doesn't have to wait until marriage. Scripture is abundantly clear that that's everyone's calling with or without marriage. For singles, living for the life of the world is a gift as a single person. It's a gift with its own unique freedoms, with its own unique challenges but it's still a gift just like living for the life of the world as a married person is a gift with its own 
freedoms with its own unique challenges. Maybe you're not cultivating a plot of soil in the intimacy of marriage like you desire. But keep growing in and drawing life from the good soil that God has given you. Whether that's the soil of your biological family, the soil of your spiritual family in the church, or a little bit of both. Because tilling married soil, while it too is a gift, it's also full of its own unique challenges. It is full of the messy and it's full of the mundane. It's not all romance. So let's close with this discussion of the messy and the mundane of the family. You know, we started out this morning with this grand cosmic vision of the self-giving of the Trinity. And with us made in that same self-giving image for the life of the world. And then you get to a man and a woman reflecting the self-giving love of the Trinity in the most intimate and creative form imaginable in joining themselves together and pouring themselves out into each other so that each can flourish and that it can give life to the world and then creating together the new life of new image bearers and it's all for the life of the world. And it all sounds so big and it sounds so grand and it sounds so glorious. Trinity, marriage, family, life, the world. And then there's the day-to-day. The messy soil. Where giving in love isn't the giddy feeling of romance. But it's listening to details about bills. About school reports. About illnesses. And it's about calming sibling unrest. Where the life of the world isn't manifested in single-handedly feeding the masses. Converting our neighborhoods, undoing gross international injustice, and so forth. But it's in changing diapers, in going to another day at work, talking with neighbors about car troubles, about the weather, and choosing to respond like Christ in conflicts when harsh words are lunged at us. In being a blessing in all the little things that seem so minor. It just seems so insignificant. When can I get onto the big stuff? When can I get onto the big picture? But these mundane moments, they are the big picture. The day-to-day of your life, your decisions, your choices in your job, in your family, that is the big picture. You know... Think of yourself right now as you push a tiny little pebble in your life. And you think, well, there's really nothing significant to what I'm doing. It's just this tiny little part of the world and a tiny little life and a tiny little pebble that I'm pushing. But what if all of us stopped pushing that little pebble? What if we all just gave up? What might happen? But what might happen if we continue in faithfulness to God with the strength that the Spirit provides if we continue pushing that little pebble in our daily life, in our families. What might happen 25 years from now, 50 years from now, 70 years from now? We all push our little pebbles today. We could see an avalanche of godliness one day. If we till this messy soil, the future garden might be just glorious. So be patient and love in the moment. 
If you're a family, the children next door who need your children's friendship. And for all of us as a church family, the lonely neighbor who needs the blessing of our presence. The small-scale ministry that your family or that you yourself can get your hands dirty in. Because the world that we're all supposed to bless, it starts with individual faces. The people in your life. And in the end, may we remember our Trinitarian and Christ-redeemed calling to give ourselves to the world. In the little ways, in our families, in the day-to-day, and in the mundane. And may we remember God's design to teach us that calling in our families. And even in the midst of the brokenness, the heartaches, the mundaneness of the family, may God plant us in the families we need so that we will have and be the kind of healthy soil that gives life to the world. Let's pray.